Welcome to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast, where the discussion ranges from employee safety, environmental protection, policy creation, training methods, employee engagement, and everything in between. Your host is Dr. Mark French. As an industrial and organizational psychologist and certified safety professional, he's going to share information and anecdotes from years of experience in the people side of safety. Safety is so much more than a technical skill. It is a motivational need that defines the culture of your organization. Employee safety is a meaningful business practice that makes a direct impact on everyone through direct behavioral engagement. That is why your organization should be using safety as a key method to learn about your culture and lead your teams. Thanks for joining this episode as we talk through current issues in EHS and how they impact our everyday workplace. Welcome to this episode of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Again, I'm Mark. So happy that you're here. So happy that you've uh, joined me for this episode. Uh, Let's kick things off. I mean, uh, some interesting this past week with COVID. So OSHA updated their guidance. Even though we don't have a comprehensive law on the books, they're still using general the general duty clause. They're still using uh, respiratory protection clauses, also bloodborne pathogen uh, spread of contagious disease. They're citing through these whenever they get around to them. But the guidance that we have now been given, and it's been called uh, a lot of different things so far, but basically it's been called unclear that um, we're not really sure what this guidance means. And there's, I think there's a lot of interpretation And I think there's going to be a lot of work ahead of it before we figure out what it really means and what they're going to cite, what they're not going to cite, how willful is it, is it going to be categorized as serious. Last week we talked about that where they put warnings out to a lot of hospitals telling them that in medical facilities saying that you know what this standard is, you know that you should be protecting your team. We're going to cite you hard. We're We're going to go after it if you are not in compliance. So that has made it interesting for the rest of us out here. And what does that mean? So let's go into the guidance just a little bit here real quick. And again, very unclear. So fully vaccinated workers in substantial or high community transmission, which is pretty much everywhere right now, wear masks in public indoor settings in order to protect unvaccinated workers or well workers because OSHA cares about workers that's their focus is to protect workers not the public Um, so to protect those I think that's really unclear for a lot of reasons so let's take a step back a lot of people and I'm one of them I got vaccinated now I got vaccinated for a lot of reasons and I'm kind of disclosing that right off the bat Um, I did it one of the reasons may not have been the most important reason, but one of the reasons is I didn't want to wear a mask anymore. Um, I, I there's a lot of, that was one of the minor reasons, but there was a lot of reasons why I did that. That was one of them. And so now we're talking about we want to protect the unvaccinated by the vaccinated wearing masks. Okay, how do we know? Am I really transmitting to unvaccinated people? What if everybody, every single person in that public setting, or that workplace is vaccinated, is it still mandatory? 
How do I know? Or even is it mandatory? Um, and how do you fix that? How do you fix? And also, how does OSHA affect the public? So can they cite the employer for having members of the public who have walked in without a mask? So if an OSHA inspector walks into a public uh, facility that has workers and the public has come in and let's say I'm one of those members. I walk in, I'm, I'm wearing a mask at first, but then I pop it off for a little while and forget to put it back on. Is that OSHA citable? To the company, because I, the member of the public, have done something for or against what the OSHA, what OSHA recommends for the workers. Woo. So how much control, how much is it going to take to now enforce that on areas that actually have like public to worker interface? And that's a lot. There's a lot of places that remained open, especially during some of the critical parts that did that. Uh, how does that count for a lot of different things? What if there's barriers in place? What if there's other means that are in place? What Again, does this create, in a psychological way, is this going to create a reverse effect? Is this going to create the proverbial witch hunt for those that are and are not vaccinated? Is it creating peer pressure for vaccination status. And there's been news articles of fake uh, vaccination cards being smuggled in. How does that affect all of that? How are you officially vaccinated? How are you going to show it? How are you going to prove it? Um, Again, how effective is masking when it's, I guess the question is, we know that there's effectiveness in masking. Okay. Understood that. Science is there. It's so hit and miss. It's not fully enforced. There's different styles of masks. Some are really thin. Some are adequate. Some are not. Where do you draw it? And I think this is where it says it's very, very unclear because this is going to put us in some interesting areas, especially with the idea. And from my standpoint, I really look at it is that am I now a member of the public who is going to go, okay, or even my workplace thinking, well, how do we force vaccination or is there going to be a pushback from those that are very vocally pro-vaccination and those who are very vocally passionate about non-vaccination or it's their choice? Is this going to create tension in the workplace or significant tension of how they can work with each other and the, still the idea of masking and protocols that are in place. I'm concerned about that because there's already quite a bit of that going on. And some people don't want to disclose their medical status one way or the other, whether they're vaccinated or unvaccinated, it's their medical status and they want to keep that private. Now I was one that just threw it out there. I didn't really, that was one thing I didn't mind sharing. And it almost feels like if you remember back in the early, for those of you who can remember this, back when the first hybrid vehicles came out, I'm taking a stretch here, but this is what it reminds me of, is when the first hybrid vehicles, like Toyota put out their very first Prius, if you were able to own one, it was like you told everybody, I drive a hybrid, I drive a hybrid. It was just you had to tell people. And vaccination status seems that way now. It seems like it comes up in every conversation. You're talking about the weather, and then someone goes, by the way, I'm vaccinated. Okay. <laughs> I don't know, a little sidebar. Just something I've, I've noticed about what we're doing right now and how much of a part of our life 
and it is a big part of our life, but how much of a prominent part of our life it's become. But then again, that's a medical thing. And some people just don't want to share it at all. They don't want to share anything like that personal in a workplace style. So they don't want to have to talk about that personal aspect of their life. How far can we push it? And we're seeing that there's been protests. Um, I've even seen it locally at some local facilities in the news where uh, they're talking about mandatory vaccination status and some workers are protesting that they don't think that's right, that there should be a choice involved in that. I think this pushes it further. And I think the uncertainty behind it doesn't help much. So it also talks about facilitating to make sure that people can get vaccinated if they want, making it available, uh, making sure people are staying home if they're sick, educate and train workers on any policies that you have, um, instruct unvaccinated guests to wear coverings in the public face, uh, maintain your ventilation systems, implement protections from retaliation, um, follow other mandatory OSHA standards is part of that release makes it tough. Uh, I think that there's a lot of things that the work is doing. I think there's some places that have taken their due diligence further than others, and I applaud that. And I think ultimately we have a lot of to go here. I really thought we were going to be behind this. Unfortunately, looks like it's going to continue a little longer. More podcast coming up in just a You've got a friend in the safety business. Who wants to help your team work safer? The Safety Dude. Who wants to help your leadership engage through safety? Again, The Safety Dude. Who is there to take your safety systems to the next level? That's right, The Safety Dude. Who has the knowledge and skill to drive safety ownership? You know it, The Safety Dude. So who is The Safety Dude? Dr. Mark French is an experienced and credentialized safety professional with a focus on the organizational psychology of your company. You can find a safety dude at TSD Amalgamated Safety Consulting, where he is ready to focus on your team's safety. www.tsdamalgamated.com. Welcome back to the second half of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. A few days ago, NPR released a really interesting article about heat is killing workers in the U.S. and there's no federal rules to protect them. Uh, They released it. It was an audio uh, investigation, of course, but they also released a text version of it on their webpage. Really interesting. I enjoyed this one. Uh, It talks about different farm workers, different industries, and heat-related illness. Now, some interesting things have happened there about like, what is the heat index? Um, I noticed that there was some, some legal review on some cases from OSHA where it was almost looked at like, what is the heat index and does it matter? And how do you calculate those things? And how does it really rate? And can they cite on it? And how much regulation authority do they have with it? And now this article comes out a little bit after that talking about, so They had a farm worker that went out. He was working. It looks like he just collapsed. Um, He had an empty water bottle with him. But I think the worst part was that they talk about like there was hours and hours and hours that passed before someone even went looking for him in that type of heat. It's one to have an exposure. Part of safety is how do we look at risk? 
How do we evaluate our risk? How much risk is tolerable to the work that we're doing? You can't avoid the heat sometimes. We sometimes have to work in environments that are very hot or very cold. And in this case, we're talking about heat. And how do we manage that risk, though? We accept the fact that there is going to be the risk. Now, we have to stop, take a step back, and think, what can we do to mitigate it? Leaving a water cooler available somewhere and just saying, hey, take a drink when you need it, is not enough. It's good, and that's a better start than not putting out a water cooler. And um, I'll actually tell this story. I was at a fair uh, for a different reason. I was there. My wife was doing something with it. Um, I was there as helping her set up, and uh, they were setting up all the rides and things out in the heat. It was a really, really hot day. Um, It was just unbearable. And unfortunately, one of the, the workers became very, very sick. Uh, the heat stress had hit him. He hadn't quite reached the point of heat stroke, but he was rapidly approaching it. Very, very sick. They called an ambulance. They came, took him. Luckily, I hope he was okay. I don't really know the outcome, but suddenly out comes these coolers, these, uh, large five gallon coolers. They're filling them up with water. They're calling all the guys over like, Hey, everybody come get a drink of water. Yeah. We need to get these out anyway. What? You mean you waited till someone collapsed before you even filled them up with water? You waited for someone to collapse before you even let them know there was availability of water? Like, there, it, you couldn't even find those coolers. And they weren't new. It's not like they went down and bought them because they didn't have them. They had them. They just hadn't got them out and filled them up. So the foreman or the leader or whomever it was... Let these guys work in severe heat in the open sun. There was really not much shade unless they took a break and went under the canopies. And they were doing some hard, this is not easy work. It's wrench turning. It's setting up. It was heavy labor in a lot of cases. One man collapses. Very sick. I mean, this is, from my standpoint, I was about to get involved um, just to go over and make sure. But then the ambulance showed up by the time I figured out what was happening. And... They watch one of their own, taken away in an ambulance. Then they're allowed to get water. Oh, oh, it it, uh, did not sit well with me at all. And so I guess having that water jug is better than not. But how do you make sure that your team is taking that break? How are you checking on them? How often are you going and visiting and making sure and walking the walk or contacting them or telling them to take that break? And how often are you checking on your team? This also leads out to, is there oversight to the risk? So you have a high risk environment. How often are you checking on them? Uh, I had a really good production manager that I worked with and it was a hot environment most of the time. I mean, it was pretty warm just about year round where what we were doing. And he would just walk around and he would take over work for someone and go, hey, you need to go get some water. Go get some water. I'll be right here. I'll make sure you don't get behind. Come back in a minute. Uh, fantastic. Really appreciated what he was doing. It's a great example. It, gr- it created that, that influence with his team that I do care about you. We have a mission. We're going to accomplish that mission. We're going to get our job done today. But I care. And I know you're struggling. And I know that you need that extra break. And he would just make his way up and down. He'd check in. And if someone looked like they could use a break, like two minutes to go get some water. Five minutes to go get some water. Because there's a lot of water coolers available. 
give them that five minutes, give them that two minutes, but to be unfortunately dead for multiple hours in a field, no one checking on you. Uh, And that's what starts this article is that really that human aspect of this is real and it's happening more often than we really want to admit. Now, some of the article, I, I think, takes a little bit of extra that, um, that OSHA didn't follow up correctly. Now, some of that may be very, very true. OSHA may not have had jurisdiction in that case, may not have had the right items, but there is availability to cite, and they do cite for these things under general duty. There is a whole NIOSH, so the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health. They have a whole amount of information on heat stress and categorizing it. Uh, So does the... um, the industrial hygiene side of things has some studies that are done that talk about how to rate heat stress, how to prevent heat stress. When is it it's excessive? When is it a problem to your team and what you should do? There's a NIOSH heat stress app out there that actually gives you guidance depending on the temperature in your area. So if you're an outdoor worker, you can pull it up on your phone and see it. And it categorizes it like yellow, orange, red, and, and gives you ideas of what you should be doing. And this can be cited under general duty. Now, do we have a full uh, on uh, standard? No, we don't. But we have enough information out there that it can be enforced. And it's ignored too many times. And once you are in a situation, how do they find you? Let's say you're, you're working on a very large farm in this case. How much are you? Where are you? Can they find you? Who's checking on you? And I think that's my biggest item is who's checking up? Who's making sure that you're okay? And it doesn't take a lot of heat for your body to start burning those calories and to put your body in jeopardy of heat-related illness. It's surprising um, when it's really hot out how easily it can happen. We even talk about, like, you, unfortunately... And this breaks my heart when I see it, when there's a high school sports team that started their training and it's really hot and someone collapses and hits the news. And that's unfortunate and doesn't have anything to do with OSHA, but it shows the dangers that heat related illness is the same at home or at work. And it's something to be aware of. Stay hydrated, prehydrate, take it easy if you can check up on people who are out in the heat. It's important. Until next time we chat, I appreciate you sitting through with this about heat stress and talking about this NPR article. And until next time we chat, stay safe. listening to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Join the conversation on the web at www.thesafetydude.org. All opinions expressed on the program are solely the view of the individual and not affiliated with any business entity. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes. It is not a substitute for proper policy, appropriate training, or legal advice. This has been the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast.